Hello and welcome back. This is going to be the first video in a brand new series where I'm going to be teaching you a new modality for understanding the awakening path. And the overarching purpose of this new system is to show you the roadmap to attaining the state of mastery, which we're going to be discussing in depth throughout the series. It's no secret that mankind has found itself in a difficult predicament because we've seemingly mastered the outer world through technology and innovation. But mankind has gained almost no degree of mastery whatsoever over our inner world. And because of this, we are speeding towards an extinction event of our own creation. And if we're going to avoid this extinction, it will require us to gain mastery over our inner world. Because once man masters the outer world and the inner world, the two become one, and humanity can begin stepping forward towards an enlightened civilization. And that is the ultimate purpose this series aims to help us accomplish. So throughout the coming episodes, we're going to be exploring all kinds of different states of spiritual intelligence, such as the flow state, enlightenment, kundalini activation, the I am state, and of course, the state of mastery. So I'd like to invite you to join me on this brand new series as we explore the nature and the power of spiritual intelligence. In this first episode, we're going to be answering the question, what is spiritual intelligence? And how does it differ or relate to intellectual intelligence? Now, there's basically three main types of intelligence that science acknowledges. IQ, EQ, and PQ, intellectual, emotional, and physical. But it's long been obvious to me that there is a fourth type of intelligence that Western science simply doesn't acknowledge as being valid. But it is actually the most important one of all, because when gained, it will elevate all other forms of intelligence. And that is, of course, spiritual intelligence, or SQ. Now, I openly acknowledge that the word spirituality is a bit of a clumsy word that carries a lot of baggage with it. But since it's the most universally understood term for what we're talking about here, it suffices okay for teaching purposes. And so I want to tell you a story of how I first became aware of the reality of spiritual intelligence. And that was back in 2016 when I began working as a personal trainer for a company called Exos in the Bay Area that was doing contract work with Google. And during my time working at Google, I had the privilege of working with some of the most brilliant software engineers and coders in the world. And one of the first things that really struck me about these clients was that although they clearly had genius level IQs, many of them were almost mentally handicapped when it comes to other forms of intelligence. For example, it was very common for me to ask one of my clients, Hey Steven, how was your weekend? And he would literally respond by staring at the ground and blinking for 10 seconds and then look up at me and say, It was fine. And that always struck me as odd because I started to notice that what he was doing was thinking about every possible response that he could make and analyzing which one was the most accurate possible response which created, you know, 10 seconds or so of very uncomfortable silence. And from a standpoint of social intelligence, 
finding the most accurate possible thing you could say isn't really the most important thing in that moment, but connection is the most important thing. But clearly many of my clients were very, very low in EQ, which is emotional intelligence. And interacting with people socially is a form of emotional intelligence. Being able to feel what someone else is feeling and respond to them accordingly. And so that was what first began to wake me up to the fact that although science says that your intelligence level is determined solely by your IQ score, it was very clear to me that there's many forms of intelligence that science doesn't acknowledge as equally valid, but may in fact be even more important. So for many years, I've been chewing on this question of what exactly is spiritual intelligence? What are the qualities of someone that we would say has a high spiritual IQ? What does that look like? Because we have a tendency to think that somebody who's read lots of spiritual books and has memorized lots of high-level concepts and teachings is somebody who's very spiritually intelligent. But we all know people who might be able to give riveting lectures on law of attraction or non-duality, but they go home to a dysfunctional relationship with their spouse, with their children, they get easily triggered to frustration by traffic on the highway, and may have a myriad of other blind spots that they're just not able to see. So should we really consider someone like that having a high amount of spiritual intelligence? So for many years, I've considered that self-awareness is synonymous with spiritual intelligence. And although I think that this is very close to the truth, it still doesn't take into account for one factor. Because we've all known people, and oftentimes even children, who seem to possess an innate ability to understand and integrate spiritual knowledge very quickly and easily compared to others. So what is it that accounts for this ability? And shouldn't that be considered in spiritual intelligence? In the same way that part of your IQ score is determined by how quickly you're able to come up with an answer, the rate at which one is able to integrate self-awareness should also be considered in spiritual intelligence. So the conclusion I've come to after many years of thinking about this is sort of a combination of these two factors. And I'd like to present you with that definition now. Spiritual intelligence is the capacity that one possesses for self-awareness and integration. So the reason that this definition resonates for me as being the most accurate is because it takes into account both the masculine and the feminine components of spiritual evolution. We could say that self-awareness is the speed and accuracy that one possesses for recognizing truth from falsehood within oneself. And we call this discrimination in spirituality. But integration is the speed and accuracy one possesses for embodying that self-knowledge. For example, two people might both become aware of the tendency that they have of not really being present with people in conversation, but sort of steamrolling over them and talking over top of them. So person number one might be able to integrate and embody this new self-knowledge within a matter of months, whereas person number two might take three to five years to do the same thing. So self-knowledge is not conceptual, but intuitive. It cannot be taught through language. 
it can only be learned through direct experience and intimacy with oneself. So for this reason, I say that spiritual intelligence is the capacity that one possesses for self-awareness and integration, the masculine and the feminine. So what are the different levels of awareness and integration that we move through as we raise our SQ? Do they follow a certain order or pattern? Or does everyone move through them in an entirely different order? Thankfully, ancient masters from the East of Hinduism to Buddhism to Taoism have been answering these questions for thousands of years. And so by studying and pulling from these different systems, as well as the science of human brainwave states, the seven energy centers as described in the Law of One, and the map of consciousness from Dr. Hawkins, I've put together what I believe is a very reliable and comprehensive map of spiritual intelligence. And over the course of this series, we're going to be looking in-depth at each one of these spiritual modalities and philosophies to help you better understand the map of spiritual intelligence. And those consist of the two polarities, the three gods of consciousness from Vedantic Hinduism, the four bodies of consciousness from Vedantic Hinduism, the five brainwave states as understood by modern science, the six vikaras from ancient Buddhism, and the seven energy centers as described in the Law of One. So here is what our sort of standard IQ chart today looks like. Now there are of course people who've measured IQs well over 200, but those are very rare anomalies. So for practical reasons, the chart stops at 200. Now the same is true for the SQ chart, meaning that 200 is not at all the limitation, but is simply where the map ends. So to give us a reference point for what a high or low SQ score is, I've simply scored it exactly according to the IQ map, which most of us are familiar with. When we hear that somebody has an IQ score of 120, for example, most of us know right away that that means that this is a very intelligent person far above average. And the same is true for the SQ chart. 120 SQ would be the equivalent of 120 IQ, but not in the same mode of intelligence. For example, if somebody can't answer this math equation, science says that they have a low IQ. But somebody who may have a very high IQ level, to the point where they can do trigonometry calculations in their head, might, on the other hand, have total, complete identification with their body and be easily triggered by simple things like a rude comment from somebody. But as we can see on this version of the SQ chart, I am the body represents the lowest level of spiritual intelligence. And I believe that this is the underlying problem that humanity currently faces. That as a species, our IQ vastly outweighs our SQ, which has created all kinds of problems for us. For example, the average IQ level is about 100, while the average SQ level is about 45 to 50. And I believe that this is actually a repeating pattern for humanity. Because as we know, the universe moves in cycles. Everything including human civilization. And I believe that different forms of human civilization have risen and fallen for eons of time. And this is what some of our best geological science is now showing us. Archaeologists have found hundreds 
of what they call out-of-place artifacts, which are different archaeological artifacts of human technology that dates back hundreds of thousands, even millions of years into the past. And because it so radically defies our current scientific model, which says that human civilizations only existed for a mere 5,000 years, they simply throw it in a pile of what they call out-of-place artifacts. But if we have hundreds of such artifacts of ancient human technology, shouldn't that cause us to consider that it might in fact be the case that human civilization has risen and fallen perhaps dozens of times into the past? This is also one of the reasons we find things like maps of the solar system that are perfectly accurate to each and every planet's orbit, even to the 10th planet that we just recently discovered in the last few years that date back over 5,000 years into the past. It can only mean that these ancient cultures had advanced scientific instruments like we have today to map and study the entire solar system and many other forms of technology that we believe have only been around for a few hundred years. And I believe that the factor which determines whether a civilization dies or survives is the balance they strike between IQ and SQ. If a civilization's IQ rises far ahead of their SQ, they will inevitably destroy themselves through the immoral use of their technology. And likewise, if the SQ rises too fast compared to the IQ, that civilization will likely be very philosophically oriented and will stay in a primitive state of technology for too long until a natural disaster will eventually kill them off, like the Ice Age or a meteor strike. India is a perfect example of this. Just like Ra's civilization on Venus, India has always been very philosophically based. India's average IQ level as a nation doesn't stack up very well against other countries, but their SQ score is very high. So while they may not have invented things like capitalism or the internet, they did discover the seven energy centers and their meanings. They did create an entire religious mythology that perfectly describes the maps of human consciousness, as well as things like astrology, Ayurveda, yoga, and the list could go on. So it's very likely that humanity owes its current existence to the amazing depth of spiritual knowledge and resources that India has provided for us that have been elevating man's consciousness for over 3,000 years. Now I'm sure that some of you are wondering, what is the main difference between the SQ map and the Hawkins map of consciousness? Are they describing the same thing or different things? And how do they differ from one another? And there's two main differences I want to draw your attention to between what these two maps are describing. A level of consciousness is basically a quality or attribute of consciousness, such as reason, love, and peace. These are things that consciousness is in its nature, while a state of consciousness is a combination of different levels of consciousness that have been integrated and mastered that can be used to create different states of being. For example, when one has integrated the qualities of love and peace, they combine to create the I am state, which is the state of mind-heart coherence. And this is one of the three states of mastery that we're going to be describing in the coming episodes. 
the IM state, the flow state, and the channeling state. So a level is what consciousness is, whereas a state is what consciousness does. The more and more levels or qualities of consciousness that we gain mastery over, the higher and higher states that we're able to create. And this is actually what happens as consciousness expands. It's not that we're going somewhere or gaining access to a state, but that we are literally creating the state from within ourselves. States of consciousness come from within our very own being. And so to create more states, we need to master more qualities. And this is the first main difference between the Hawkins map and the SQ map. The Hawkins map of consciousness is essentially a measurement of how much energy one's consciousness is producing. And that's why it can be calibrated using the muscle test. When you calibrate someone's LOC, you're basically just asking the field to measure how much energy their consciousness is producing in this moment. So the next question is, is it possible to be at a certain SQ level without being at the correlating level of consciousness? And the answer is yes. The SQ essentially represents one's upper limit or current capacity for producing energy and consciousness. But it doesn't mean that someone has taken full advantage of that capacity. And this would be the kind of person we mentioned earlier, who may be an older soul who has an innate, natural ability to understand and integrate spiritual teachings, but they may have grown up in an environment that wasn't particularly spiritual or religious so they never found themselves doing any spiritual practicing. So while this person has the capacity to vibrate at a 500 level of energy, they may only be producing a 300 level of energy. But upon finding a spiritual practice that they really gravitate towards, like Kundalini Yoga, for example, they're quickly able to raise their energy to that 500 level and maybe even surpass people in the same class who've been doing that practice for years before them. So SQ is very similar to IQ in that some people are just more naturally gifted with it than others. But to develop the qualities of mastery, absolutely everyone must work towards cultivating them because no one attains mastery by luck or by accident. So we know how the Hawkins map of consciousness relates to polarity, power versus force. But how does the SQ map relate to polarity? Your SQ score is ultimately determined by where and how much of your attention and focus is outward facing or inward facing. Outward focus produces ignorance. Inward focus produces knowledge. Outward focus produces suffering and inward focus produces bliss negative and positive. When the mind is fixated on chasing the next high, the next sense pleasure or comfort or luxury, the brain and the nervous system literally become weaker. And we know this through neuroscience. The more outward focused a mind is, the busier and busier that mind has to be to organize and analyze and figure everything out and this puts a tremendous load of stress on the nervous system and the mind. But through spiritual development, we begin to limit the amount of sensory information 
that we force awareness to process all day long and we become more inward focused, we then increase our capacity for self-awareness and self-knowledge. So what are some of the most important qualities or practices for increasing and developing one's capacity or spiritual intelligence? The three most important qualities for raising your spiritual intelligence are the cultivation of inner silence, single-pointedness of mind, and constant self-examination. And the three most effective practices for cultivating these qualities are meditation, contemplation, and self-inquiry. Inner silence directly reflects one's capacity for awareness. The ability one has to see and notice things, to observe thoughts without attachment, and to discriminate between the real and the unreal. So to cultivate inner silence requires one to spend time in silence. To develop concentration or one-pointedness of mind requires contemplation. Contemplating the source of creation is one of the most powerful practices one can ever do because it begins to train the mind and teach the mind that the most important thing it can ever focus on are not outward sense pleasures, but its very own being. And finally, to sharpen or strengthen your ability of self-examination requires consistent and regular self-inquiry. Making a habit of asking those powerful questions like, why did I just react that way? Who is the thinker of this thought? Who is observing this thought? Who am I? So we're going to be covering this in much more detail all throughout this series. But to start things off, the three most important practices for attaining a state of mastery are meditation, contemplation, and self-inquiry. In our next episode, we're going to begin exploring the state of mastery, learning what mastery is, and what qualities and abilities come with it. So I want to thank you for joining me in this first episode of this brand new series on spiritual intelligence. My name is Aaron Abke, and I'll see you in our next episode. Hey everyone, thank you for watching today's video. I hope that you were truly blessed by it. And I wanted to let you know that I'm really excited to now be partnering with an amazing conscious supplement company called Organifi. A lot of you know that I'm also passionate about holistic health and nutrition, and Organifi has been a staple in my daily health routine for a very long time. They make the most delicious, organic, and high-quality superfood products that I've ever come across. And as you know, a healthy body is a great benefit for spiritual growth, because the health of your body directly translates to the health of your mind. Everything is connected. So feeding your body with high vibrational superfoods straight from the earth is one of the best ways to create that environment for a healthy mind. But getting all the superfoods that your body needs in one day can admittedly be a little bit tough. And that is where Organifi can add a ton of value to your life. I personally start every day off with green, which is Organifi's really delicious blend of 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, chlorella, and moringa. And then in the middle of the day, I'll usually have a scoop of red, 
which is a delicious energy blend full of 13 adaptogens and antioxidants from berries to recharge your mind and body with a delicious blend of organic superfoods. Your body is an amazing organic machine, but it needs the right fuel and signals to function at its best. And red is full of adaptogens sourced from organic herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And these are compounds that balance hormones, prime your energy pathways and alleviate stress. So instead of crushing your adrenal system with huge doses of caffeine every day, adaptogens work with your body and give you natural sustained energy all throughout the day. What's most important to me though about Organifi is the way that they go above and beyond to ensure the cleanest and purest ingredients in all of their products. They are USDA certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, certified glyphosate free, and absolutely zero fillers. So I never go anywhere without Organifi and I never miss a day without taking it. And Organifi is offering a super generous discount of 20% off of your entire order when you use the coupon code ABKEY at checkout. So if you wanna upgrade your health regimen with Organifi, you can click on the link in the description box below to learn more about all the amazing products that they offer. And I promise you that your mind and your body are gonna thank you for it.